0: Please be advised. We will be discussing subjects that may not be suitable for all audiences, and will include subjects that some will find challenging, traumatic, or triggering. Welcome to You Don't Fight Alone, a podcast sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness, and how we got there. Started experiencing uh, suicidal thoughts and just a, the general feeling of uh, I don't know, just kind of this metallic emptiness uh, where sound just bounces around inside uh, at the age of 12. Uh, my name is Jeff Crozier. The official diagnosis is major depressive disorder. Uh, experienced various other things throughout my life, but that is the official diagnosis. Uh, my body's gift to me was uh, <laughs> self-loathing, and which I think a lot of uh, kids go through. That uh, it's—I I recall sitting in. My quote therapist's office it wasn't she wasn't a therapist she was just a a school i don't know it was a it was a christian school, which there's another story right there but uh I recalled drawing this crude picture of uh my father on one side and mother on the other and me in the middle. Has this wall uh, that they would shoot their volleys of insults over and sometimes they would miss and hit me. Uh, at least that's how it felt and uh, around that time uh, I think my mother was okay with going to see a uh, psychiatrist or for me to go see a psychiatrist and I believe the first thing I was prescribed was Prozac uh, which was still uh, not in its infancy, but it was relatively new to the market it, it as a much safer alternative to some of the tricyc- tricyclic antidepressants where you can't have tuna fish or fava beans or what have you. <laughs> I think that a lot of kids are, or adolescents feel out of place in, in school, and, and it's... Uh, even in, in uh, adolescent psychology, there's something called a personal fable uh, where you believe that you are the only one who feels this way and that, you know, no one else can understand. And and that's fairly common. Uh, but I guess if I jump ahead a little bit, you know, what if you never grow out of that? Uh, what if it's not something that you can just grow out of? Uh what if it's not something that, I don't know. I recall people telling me I needed more sleep or more exercise or when I went to church, it was you need more faith. Uh, you need to do all of these things to fix whatever this is about you that we don't really understand, but God help you. I had been, uh, dating a gal through high school and I had uh, uh, during this time uh, to deal with some of the feelings I had been having uh, I started to uh, burn myself with things uh, I know that some people uh, choose to cut themselves uh, but <clears throat> I'm not sure why I gravitated towards burning it was probably some sort of metaphor for purification, Uh, but regardless, it was (laughs) not a great spot to be in. Uh, I found out uh, when I was 18, uh, just about to graduate, uh, over the phone, that my girlfriend at the time had been cheating on me with uh, a friend of ours, and that she was basically already seeing him and that that was pretty much it. And I recall hanging up my corded phone because that was back in the nineties and I took out a, a a Swiss army knife and tried to, uh, plunge it into my left hand, which is usually the hand that takes the most abuse, uh, from these, whether it be cigarettes, matches, knives, uh, and the blade barely pierced the skin until the knife folded over because a swiss army knife is not made to be a stabbing instrument uh, and i recall my mother telling me years before that because she knew something was going on but i don't think she really knew how to deal with it i mean how do you How do you talk to your son when he's burning himself with cigarettes? What do you say? I put my hope in, uh, these certain things, uh, both in the relationship in high school and the relationship where, uh, uh, she died. And also the relationship, uh, with my father, I had tied some sort of sense of worth to these relationships working out. And when that didn't happen, uh, my first response was just to turn inward, uh, to go back to those feelings of, there is some comfort to the familiar. Uh, you're familiar with feeling depressed. Uh, that 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 you don't matter. That, or most so that there really nothing matters. That nothing outside of you or inside of you really matters. So uh, you almost float through your existence, uh, and weeks, months, years go by and you're still clinging to that same familiar lover as it were. And that somehow these relationships gave me more meaning than are the gave me more value than what I already had intrinsically, which is kind of a lifelong battle for, uh, those with mental illness, uh, depression specifically. Uh, but again, that was the most recent, uh, I think that for, I mean, I, I, I'm just speaking for most of you out there, which maybe isn't my place, but I would wager that there's been, uh, a few times where it's been rock bottom or you've reached your limit and you either take it out on yourself the a suicide attempt, try and numb it out via self-mutilation, abusing drugs, alcohol, some way of escaping and controlling, your, your problems always come back. And I knew that then, but there are certain times when the insides are just screaming so much that you're begging for some sort of outside catharsis. Well, let's see, when things start to change. When I uh, started taking college classes, uh, I mean, I hated high school, hated it. The only thing that i really enjoyed was theater and being in theater because uh, it was just my fellow freaks and geeks uh, and i didn't think that any education outside of high school was really for me but it was a uh, he was the editor of our local newspaper in broomfield he came into the coffee shop i was working at and he saw something in me that i didn't see and he brought me a a course catalog for a local college and I entertained it and thought to myself I don't know much about botany I should take a botany class granted I never did take a botany class but it it introduced me excuse me it introduced to me this whole new world of learning about uh, things that I wanted to learn about, and wouldn't you know, one of the first classes I took was Psych 101, and I believe it was in that course. Uh, my professor warned that she said, I, and I don't know where she got this statistic, but she said that it was uh, 60% of people uh, major in psychology just to figure out their own issues, and it's only 40% who were just in it for the Completely clinical. Those are the people who are, who are going to go forward. Uh, I, I had no real grand ideas. And I knew that I was in that 60%. But uh, it was actually learning about what was going on in, inside my head. Uh, putting it in chemical terms or in diagnosis terms. Uh, that it started to take... Not so much some of the stigma, but some of the dread out of it, some of the mystery. Uh, And I started having panic attacks around that time, not sure why, Uh, but it was through researching what is actually happening inside the body uh, that I first realized, okay, I can slow my breathing down. But also check my pulse uh, because it's physically impossible to pass out if you have a normal heartbeat Mm -hmm. and it was just that kind of learning that gave me this glimmer of hope that this is not some, I don't know, behemoth out there that is going to rule my life. I may have it forever but I think actually attaining the knowledge of what was going on in my brain, what was going on in my body, uh, how certain drugs would affect certain things, uh, certain prescription drugs, legal drugs, uh, <laughs> would. Uh... It was then that I decided at that time that hey, maybe I could help others with this because I. Uh, what better weapon than empathy to fight this uh, epidemic of depression, mental illness. I think that some of the uh, the breakthrough happens, at least for me, uh, with just accepting that this is something that is very likely lifelong. Uh, I've talked with probably hundreds of people uh, who are on medication, doing fine, and there is that certain point that you reach where you think that, yeah, I feel great. I I can go off of this. As if it was just this broken bone. They just just needed time to heal. Uh, And you can finally take the cast off. And I think that Myself personally, uh, and I would assume quite a few people out there who, uh, have mental illness, they're just waiting for that time when it just goes away. And I think that's part of where you get stuck, uh, rather than living and dealing with how things are right now, uh, and not accepting it as all good, but all good enough. I think that my ideal response, uh, if I had a choice, would be to stay up late, uh, watching movies, uh, sleeping in late, uh, probably drinking too much, uh, not doing anything really productive, but just kind of, numbing Uh, but I I've found over time that that uh, doesn't do any good for several reasons Uh, and I guess that's where the whole fight aspect of it comes in Uh, I mean you don't fight alone Uh, if I can coin the, <laughs> the name of the podcast, but but you yourself do have to fight and that sucks. Uh it is much easier to give in to whatever your illness that day is saying. So much easier. Uh but after a while, uh I think some of my depression started to become anger anger at the uh, circumstances in my life but also just how I'd been dealing with them uh, and my MO was just to isolate because I was comfortable and 20 plus years after a diagnosis I keep going back to the same thing of just isolating and wouldn't you know that still doesn't work uh, that I had to I had to make an investment in my own life, which usually meant investing in other people's lives. And I'm not saying in a, go out and help people with their own depression and be a psychologist, uh, because that's for a very select few, uh, myself, not so much. Uh, But it's, I guess, rather simple in, In some ways, the best way to get outside of myself was just to, uh, help others. And that started out with just volunteering at homeless shelters or very basic stuff, chopping lettuce for three hours and then serving a meal. Uh, but for those three hours, I was not thinking about my own sense of worthlessness, and over time, when I added that experience in over and over and over again, I realized that, at least for me, that was one of the ways that I could fight. it's actually kind of frightening that so many people can go through their, their entire lives with, uh, diagnoses and and just suffering through, uh, but there's only a handful of people out there who will ask very direct, very specific questions. Uh, not just how are you feeling today, but, uh, when was your rock bottom? Are you hitting it now? Um, do you feel anything? Uh, I think even with how much research has gone in and and how much medication is out there, uh, the family members and friends of people with, with mental illness are, are still so afraid to, to ask hard questions. Uh, and I think, uh, That was part of what education did for me. It didn't ask the hard questions, but it answered those things that no one had ever asked. Uh, But to have someone in my life that I cared about uh, be brave enough to ask me uh, if I was feeling suicidal, if I wanted to cut myself again, that's a... That's a vulnerable step on their part. But it it takes away that fear that so many people with mental illness have that they're not going to be understood or that they need to sweep it under the rug or that if they can just act okay, then maybe people won't notice. Uh, But if you... (laughs) If you can be that that person who asks those honest questions, uh, and it may not have always come out right, because you might be afraid, uh, but statistically asking someone point blank if they're contemplating suicide or if they have plans for suicide doesn't have any statistical relation to increased suicidality and if what this podcast I I assume uh, is trying to do is take away some of the stigma and make this an open conversation then uh, by all means start with that there's probably lots of people in your life that are just begging to have those hard questions asked because that means you really care that you're not afraid of them you're not Afraid of their diagnosis, uh, especially now in this climate where seemingly a lot of violent crimes are the scapegoat is mental illness. Uh, that oftentimes the people in your life won't understand and they're not, and they're not going to know how to fight for you. But ultimately, If you're going to live through this, if you're going to thrive through this, you have to fight for yourself. And it's, it's going to be really shitty some days because you will not feel like fighting for anything. But some days that's the only way that you're going to. When I, uh, was leading groups, uh, at the, uh, hospital for eating disorders. Uh, there was a, a newer style of therapy. It's kind of a hybrid. It's called ACT, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy. And I found that, uh, even decades after, uh, I mean, I was the one who was actually supposed to be leading this, but I was still learning and The first aspect was just acceptance, Uh, acceptance of where you are at this moment in time. It's not saying that you think it's good, but you have to accept it as it just is. Because you can live, (laughs) you can live your entire life in denial of what you're going through or of what reality is. Second step is... Commitment. You have to commit to something that you value. And for so many people who struggle with mental illness, it's uh, its almost kind of a luxury to find that thing that's outside of you, that you not just think is important, but that you actually value. Uh, whether it's your faith, whether it's... Uh, your spouse, but it's, but even those are just kind of the intangibles. Uh, It's gotta be something that actually moves you. And once you've found that, that, that one thing you can commit to, that one thing that you value that is outside of you, then you start to take steps. And of course, If you've lived a long enough time, uh, without finding value in much, it's going to be difficult to not just rush into it, but even just taking baby steps, whether that is, you know, volunteering at a, a homeless shelter, uh, or a shelter for animals, uh, something outside of you that you value. Just take the first step towards that. And eventually you find that your thoughts don't drift so much towards your own plight. And then you might be surprised that your own personal sense of value sneaks up on you as you have enough of these interactions outside of yourself, that those interactions validate those parts of you that you could never do on your own. For more information, please visit youdontfightalone.org. You Don't Fight Alone is supported in part by MLH Services a service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. For your marketing needs, mlh-services.com. The You Don't Fight Alone podcast is a production of You Don't Fight Alone Incorporated, produced and engineered by James Fisher and Keaton Lycom. The information presented by You Don't Fight Alone is not intended as medical advice. If you have mental health questions, please talk to a mental health professional.